0: in mind, I invite you to turn to Romans uh, chapter 11. We're going to pick up there. And um, yeah, just just so you know, um, I do have permission to wear my sideburns. I asked Norm if it was okay, if there was enough room in this church for two people to wear sideburns. His are much bigger. And I'm telling you, uh, I, I don't know what it's like to be pregnant. I'm not even going to say I even can come close. But it is amazing what happens. The similarities are this. Wearing sideburns, some People just think they can just have the permission now to say whatever they think. It's just the craziest thing. Strangers. I had just, I walked into AutoZone yesterday and this guy's like, oh, <laughs> like, I'm like, who does that? I'm like, who just says that out of the blue to a stranger? Ooh, that's ugly. Like, what? So anyway, it's not for the faint of heart is all I'm saying. So, gee whiz. So, today uh, we're going to be talking about a word, remnant. Um, Webster's dictionary defines it a small part, a trace remaining, a small surviving group. What's left after a catastrophe? Often used to describe the plates after steak night. Remnant. What is left? Um, Remnant. uh, That could be what's left after the youth group hits the snack bar, right? And hey, uh, kudos to Lynn. Youth group, great night, spaghetti night. Who was there, Has some good spaghetti, let's hear it. Great night, great job, guys. Um, uh, Remnant would be uh, uh, the people left at the end of a Cavs game in the fourth quarter. That would be called a remnant after a catastrophe. Oh, come on, nobody watches them anymore, right? You you just watch it on the news and it's really sad. Um, So God uses this word 65 times in the Bible. 65 times the word remnant is used. 63 are in the Old Testament. There's only two occurrences in the New Testament, and guess where they are? The Romans. So the first service blurted out, Revelation! And I'm like, "It's up on the screen? I had to ask forgiveness. It was just too big of a door to walk through. Um, Revelation is not where it is. Romans is where it is. Twice it happens. And uh, it's important. So it only happens in the New Testament twice. It happens in Romans twice. So there's this kind of this huge flag like, wow, when it's happening here, we better pay attention, right? And so it happens here at the beginning, or actually towards the, the beginning here of Romans chapter 11. Let me pick you up the speed. Romans chapter 10, Paul says this right out at the beginning. He says, my hope and desire is that Israel might be saved, which means Israel is not saved. And he goes on to explain why Israel is not saved as a whole. And it's, it's a very provocative statement. It's gotten him in trouble throughout his ministry career, probably around 20 years plus and he's encountered this over and over again. And he spells it out, chapter 9, chapter 10, very clearly. And then chapter 11, he goes on to explain it. And chapter 11, he poses a question right at the beginning of this. And he ends chapter 10 with this, God is, has, he has his arms open. And he's waiting for this disobedient, obstinate people to come back to him. And they still won't come back to him. And chapter 11, he poses a question that he's heard over and over again throughout his ministry. And it is this question. Has God rejected his people Israel? It's a critical question. And and it's an important question because if if God's rejected Israel, he made all these promises to, then what is he going to do to us if we we disobey whatever? Is he going to reject us because he just gets rid of all the promises? I mean, it's an important question for us. It actually has ramifications for us. And so he gives this answer to the question. And let me just start uh, by saying this, um, I'm hoping, uh, we, in 20 years of ministry, I've never heard a message really spoken on Israel that much. I mean, we've never preached on Israel like this. I, I wasn't a part of it back in Missoula, Montana for four years there. Haven't heard it. So we're going to have two messages on this. We've already had chapter 10, and now we're going to do chapter 11. So this may be the only time you really hear this kind of a message uh, about Israel. And uh, by the end of the second service, it seemed like God was giving a ministry of sleep. Um, And that may be what happens, and just rest peacefully. But uh, let me encourage you. Folks, I don't know. Sometimes it's it's maybe just sleep is what you need, and Jesus says sleep. Um, So hopefully I'm going to try to keep us awake during this time. But uh, just saying this up front, this message you may not hear again for another 20 years. Um, So you may want to stay awake. (laughs) I'm not looking at anybody. I'm not naming names. Um, so, this is what he says Has God rejected his people? He says, By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. Has God, not reje- has God, God has not rejected his people, whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they've killed your prophets. They've demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what was God's reply to him? I've kept myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace, but if it's by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works, otherwise grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking, the elect, obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes so they would not see and ears so they would not hear to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and bend their backs forever. So Paul gives Two answers here in the beginning to this question, may it never be, he says, no, God has not rejected his people, and he says, why, how do I know? Well, I'm an Israelite, God pursued me, and, and Paul's story is one, persecuting the church, hated what Christ taught, hated Christ, wanted to kill the Christians, arrest the Christians on his way to do some of that, and then God, Jesus, meets him on the road and says, what are you doing? And Paul ends up becoming a Christ follower. Jesus hunted down Paul, an Israelite, from the tribe, from Abraham, right, tribe of Benjamin. He's saying, look, Jesus is still out to reach his people, the promised people. I am exib- or exhibit one, right? Look at me. And then he goes on, he says, but it's not only that, God has a pattern of doing this. And so he brings up Elijah. Elijah, famous prophet, Ezekiel, or not Ezekiel, 1 Kings chapter 18 is this great story, Elijah's trying to call people back to following God and it's the whole the King of Israel married this woman, and, and she became queen, and she totally pulled Israel away from God, brought in all her priests, brought in all the, the worship, Baal, and all that stuff. It's really bad. Killing the priests of God, it was just, it was a pretty severe persecution, so they have the big showdown, and uh, Israel's God versus her God, and, you know, God wins, destroys, and all her priests get killed, and, and she gets really mad, so in revenge, she puts a bounty on his head, and he's running for his life, and that's when he says, I'm all alone. Like, I'm all alone in this, God. And God's like, no, you're not. Because I've got a remnant. What's left after a catastrophe. And the catastrophe in this case was Israel's wholesale rejection of God. And he says, oh, no, no, no. I've got a remnant. 7,000 people who have not bowed the knee to Baal. You are not alone. But that's a tiny, tiny group. got a whole nation he only got seven thousand that haven't bowed the knee that's a catastrophe and he goes on he says so you know what then what what is this whole thing with israel well how did how did Israel go to his place and, and and what he says right there is Israel kept trying to do it by themselves on their own and he goes on to explain God hardened them right there, there's this whole predestination election thing that we talked about sovereignty of God how does this all work out Romans chapter nine now he pulls it back in and he you have this also this free will thing in the middle of it, and it's, how do you reconcile that? We're not going into that, but he says right here, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes so they wouldn't see, ears so they would not hear. He gave them what they wanted, a life without him. You can have it. A catastrophe of of, of rebellion, unbelief. But he answers this question, he says, no, God has not rejected the people. There is a remnant. And then he asks the second question in verse 11. Did they stumble in order that they might fall, And um, fall being like fall out of the plan of God? So did they go so far as they're not going to be included anymore in the plan of God, which is another way of asking it? And he says it again, no, by no means, don't think that way. And what follows is Paul begins to answer the question, so what place does Israel have in the plan of God? And he says this in verse 11. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if the trespass, Israel's disobedience, right, means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I'm speaking to you Gentiles inasmuch as I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry in order to somehow make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? What he starts to talk about here is, is two things. There's, there's what's going on with the plan of God then is the question. And the first thing he says is God does not waste this opportunity. Jews have rejected God wholesale, right? He's offering salvation to the Gentiles. And he's opening his door up to anyone who would be in his family. He's saying, fine, you don't want me. I'm going to open it up to the world. And, and, and we have this, this season, this period where he's now opened it up to anyone who would love him and be reconciled to him. He's offered it. The riches of the kingdom can now be ours. And so there's, there's this piece of God not wasting what Israel has done and just saying, oh, I can't do anything. He's now saying, hey, the world is invited into this. The less obvious plan is this idea that God is now, because of what he's doing in, in the Gentile, and, 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 and it, does anybody here have Jewish descent? We had two in the first service. So get this. If this didn't happen, you and I wouldn't be sitting here. This is a cool plan, what God has done. You and I wouldn't be sitting here. We're not part of Israel. But what he's done is he's used us, and he's using it as this jealousy point to pull Israel back. In fact, Romans ten nineteen. there's this prophet that says, I'll make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I'll make you angry. And what is he trying to say? He's, he's saying that God, what Israel has lost and given away, now are the Gentiles, and they're, they should be looking at the Gentiles or will look at the Gentiles and say, wait a minute, that's for us. That's ours. That's our God. You shouldn't be worshiping our God. But that's our God. Why are you getting all the blessings of our That should be mine. And that's what he's trying to provoke in them. He's saying, God has used this to reconcile the Gentiles, and he's using the reconciliation of the Gentiles to bring back Israel. And he concludes with this. Can you imagine what this will be? Because if, if Israel rejected God and it brought reconciliation to us, can you imagine what will happen when Israel's is reconciled. And he, he actually uses it a different way. He he uses this reconciliation of the world. Life from the dead. Resurrection is what some people said, or some versions versions say, resurrection from the dead. Let me just stop right there for a second. What's your resurrection story? You've thought about that recently. I was, just, I was just talking to someone this morning. They just they, they just shared their story of what God has done. And I just sat there, and it, it's life from the dead. That's what it was. It was a story of life from the dead, miraculous resurrection power. And they they, they just I, they just I said, What's your story? And they told me it. And I just sat there and went, I needed to hear that this morning. You ever just need to hear it? like just tell me another story some of you may need to know that god still does it i mean we just had easter and and you may not have been a part of easter i'm telling you if you are living in death and there's death all around you and you need something revived it can happen it still does happen and paul's saying can you imagine an entire nation raised from the dead spiritually he goes on in verse 16 through 24 and we realize all is not well in the Roman church or the church in Rome I should say uh, the city Um, because what was happening is the Gentiles just started getting cocky just started treating the jewish brothers and sisters like dirt it's just ridiculous but well, what is it in human nature i mean i can see it i can see it in little kids when all of a sudden they get praise or they get something and then they look around going mm-hmm. look around their little buddies and they talk at school my dad's bigger than your dad my dad has better sideburns than your dad <laughs> what is it about that right like it's just innate in us to want to be more than somebody else. And it's happening in the church. That's what's happening. And Paul, he has to address it. And so he uses a metaphor of something small and how it can totally influence something greater. And this is what he says, "'If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, "'so is the whole lump. "'And if the root is holy, so are the branches.'" But if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, now he's talking about Gentiles are wild, so wild olive shoot were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. And then you'll say, well, branches were broken off so I might be grafted in. Well, that's true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast You stand fast fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if the Lord did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note that then the kindness and severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted in contrary to your nature into the cultivated olive tree, how much more will these natural branches be grafted in to their own olive tree? So here's the thing uh, metaphors, two of them one doe, one tree. Dough goes back to um, Numbers. Uh, somewhere in Numbers chapter 8, I think, something like that, Uh, Israel's getting into the promised land, and God says, look, I want the first bread you bake, that first bread that you get the grains from the land, I want you to take a portion of it when you make it, and I want you to bring it here to the tabernacle and offer it to me as an act of worship, showing to your heart, or basically a demonstration that you know, that I know, that I'm the one who gave you all this, right? So, and he says, look, if that little portion of dough made everything holy, if that portion was holy and it came out of this big, big pile of dough, the whole thing's holy. The whole thing is set apart, meaning the small can represent the entire, right? So then he goes on and he talks about this branch thing. And he says, okay, now this tree. So, it, it, and this is horticulture, and I hope I don't lose you here. But uh, for those of you who like gardening, uh, which are some of you, uh, this is all fascinating things. So, I'll try to keep it, I'll try to keep it exciting. Um, so, here's the thing. When, uh, let's say you have a great uh, orange tree, right? Orange tree fruit. You love the fruit of that orange tree, right? But the roots just don't do good in the soil. But there's a wild orange tree that does great in the soil. So what they would do is say, well, it's actually olives. So let's say we have olives, right? Great olives, mm, but doesn't grow so well. Kind of anemic root stuff. What they would do is take the olive tree that had all the good fruit and they'd come over here and they'd cut off a branch and they would graft it into this wild olive tree which had nasty fruit, but its roots thrived everywhere. It would, it would survive anything and, and bring all the nutrients it needed. So they would pull good fruit tree and graft a branch into the rootstock of a wild tree that could grow anywhere. Now, here's the crazy thing. He inverts it, which nobody would do this. And he says, you are the wild fruit tree, olives, and you've been grafted into this cultivated root tree, right? The, this root system that is phenomenal. And, and you're, people are reading that going, nobody does that. Who would ever bring nasty fruit into a great root system why would you ever do that and he's saying the root has made it holy the root the tree there actually this tree system has made the entire tree holy and what he's talking about is the principle of the small can make the larger holy and he's referring all the way back to the patriarchs the small right they were given the promises Abraham, Isaac, going down through David, all these promises given to Israel. They represent, they, a couple people got it, a few people got it, and it completely set apart the entire nation. We're not talking salvation. We're talking this word holy, as in set apart, distinct. That's how he's trying to explain this. And so, as, and I got away from my notes, so I got to... Finally catch up to this saying. So he's saying, Look, you guys, what in the world are you guys getting so uppity and so cocky and arrogant about? Because the only way you got in here was by the cross. This word bending the knee to Baal or bending the knee to God, it comes up in this passage a couple times. The only way we get in is kneeling at the cross. And the last time I knelt at the cross. We just did it this morning, right, with communion. What is the cross about? I was saved by grace. I deserved eternal punishment. And unless God came, I was, my, my life was just a pile of filthy rags, nothing to speak of. And yet somehow we can look around and go, but I'm better than you. What? Like, how is that even possible? if you have knelt at the cross and truly understand the cross. Because what the cross says and demonstrates and puts in our souls is, oh, no one is righteous, not even one. I am not better than any other person in this room, and there is no one better than me or anybody else. We are all at the same level, kneeling before the cross. And he's writing to these guys going, what are you doing? And he says, oh, and by the way, did you forget how you got here? Like you got grafted in by faith. The only way you got in here was by faith. And if if you disavow that faith, right? And he's not talking about salvation. He's just talking about this only comes by faith. And then he goes on and he just says, and the great thing about this is, Israel, if they return in faith, they're going to be pulled back in. They're going to be grafted in. And, and they're actually from the original tree. And they're going to thrive. Because it's, it's who they are. And we don't like to hear that in, this, in, in our world, in America. Everybody's winners. And no, everybody's the same. There's, there is a privilege status Israel has. It it just is. You just can't get away from it. And it's not that we aren't part of the family God. We are. And it's just, there's just this selfish thing inside of human nature. We want things and jealous and all that. So, moving on. He circles back to this original point of God's plan. He wants to pull the Jews back into salvation. And he finally concludes with this. And I'll try to end this very quickly. He says, lest you, be un, lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. So here's the conclusions of all his teaching about Israel. You'll see four of them right here. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the full, fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Number three, as regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards to election, number four, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. So here's the conclusions that Paul is saying. First, there's a partial hardening that's come upon Israel until the full number of the Gentiles come in. There's this idea that Israel, for whatever reason, it's temporary until... The full number. What is the full number of Gentiles? There's a lot of speculation. Uh, some people say it's, it's when every tribe, tongue, nation hears about the gospel, and that's why a lot of Christians are eager. Let's translate the Bible. Let's, let's see this world evangelize. And, and then we will see this revival of Israel come, and, and we will see the Lord Jesus return. Um, I like that answer. It, it's just it, there's not much given besides what he says right there, so I, I'm not a 10 on that. Um, I don't think you can be a 10 on much of this. We don't really specifically know, but it does make a lot of sense, that, a- that answer. So there's a partial hardening. We're in a season. How long? Well, it's been 2,000 years um, that we've, we've seen this happen where God is still wanting to get more Gentiles to come in. Second collusion, the full number of Gentiles, you know, when that happens, all Israel will be saved. It's all Israel, which is kind of like, well, wait a minute. What does that mean? Well, it can't mean... That all Israel is saved, as in, if you were just a Jew, born a Jew, you are saved, because that undoes all of Romans 1 through 8. And Paul just said, genealogy does not save a person. Faith saves a person. There's a blessing that comes for those who are part of the Jewish nation. So first, it can't contradict that. Second, Paul's just said there's a remnant. There's only a remnant there. So those are the ones that right now are living by faith, by grace, right? It can't be the church as in all Israel, some people spiritualize that and say, oh, that's, that's, that's the church. It's not the church. He's not even talking about the church. He's talking about Israel. This whole thing's about Israel. And what he's saying, it, it, it simply is all Israel. I mean, it just seems, means the entire people of Israel who have believed by faith in the past and the present and in the future. That's all Israel, that remnant will be saved. Number three, unbelieving israel those israel he says uh jews look at christ and see him as an as an enemy rejected christ and and so there's a sense that they are enemies on your account meaning they look at christians as a threat to their faith as for christians they're not our enemies it's a one-sided war that's what this is Um, and you saw that much more back when the church was planted and started than you do now But for our part, we're called to love them and pray for them and pray for peace over Jerusalem. Fourth and final conclusion. Israel has not been replaced by the church, has not been cut off from its promises. The the patriarchs, he says this, and it's, it's so encouraging. The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. He made promises to Israel that cannot be undone. They have to be kept because our God is truthful and will always do what he says. So Israel is still waiting for these final promises to be fulfilled, that remnant. And here's the thought. As we go forward, this, this is God's thoughts on Israel. And we might not talk about this for a long time to come, but this should influence how you view Israel and the Jews. They are not our enemies. We are called to pray for them. We are called to love them. We are called to pray for the peace of Israel and Jerusalem and to be for them. They are still God's people set apart and that's, that's what God calls us to. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and just the direction you give us. And Lord, we just want to Take a moment here. We pray for that revival to come. We pray for a spiritual revival to finally happen, Lord, with the the full number. Lord, I don't know when or how many, but Lord, we just pray, Lord, would this come soon? We pray for Israel's peace. It's in the middle of war. They're always in the middle of war. They're always at the receiving end of animosity and hatred. And we pray, God, for peace to come on Israel. Your peace, Lord. And God, inasmuch as you have spoken a prophecy about this this moment when Israel will have a revival and more will follow you and, and that resurrection transformation, I pray that you would remind us of that even today as we leave that you can do miracles like this. If you can raise a nation from the dead, you can still raise us from the dead. Lord, you can raise us out of death and what's happening in our lives as well. Amen.